0: Sunday morning, time for The Great Outdoors with Charlie Potter, brought to you by the all-new Chevy Silverado and
1: ChevyDriveChicago.com on Chicago's very own 720 WGN. Good morning. Welcome to The Great Outdoors show. Charlie Potter, your host here on WGN Radio. Did you see that super moon this week, August 1st? What a moon. We actually are going to have two moons this August which means we have a supermoon on the beginning of the month, and we have a blue moon at the end of the month. And for those of you who have a chance to still see, the moon obviously was full when it rose on on Tuesday night, but it is still enormous out there. And the August moon is called the Sturgeon moon and has been going back to, well, the early days of American settlement, because in August. The Sturgeon moved to places where they were most easily to spear, and Sturgeon are best caught at night. So the Sturgeon moon, as it became known, was the August full moon. No matter when it occurred in August, it's when Sturgeon, for the early settlers in America, would have their best success. So August moon is called the Sturgeon moon, but this year we have a supermoon, which only happens a few times when the moon moves closest to the earth, I'm not going to be an astronomer this morning here, but the moon moves closest to the earth and it causes high tides. It's also called a king's tide. So during this month of August, we're going to have, we have a super moon now, which means we have, if you live on either of the coasts or down in the Gulf of Mexico, you're going to have the highest tides of the year, the king tides. We don't stir sturgeon fish anymore at night in August in very many places, so the sturgeon moon is a bit of American history. But anyway, you have one more chance this, this month to see the blue moon, which happens when we have a full moon twice in a month. As the saying goes, once in a blue moon means something's very rare. So, so for those of you who are out camping in the coming week, the moon is waning, but it's still closer to the Earth than it usually is, so it's brighter and even though it's now on its way to the dark moon side, heading there over the next 10 days, the moon this week, if you're camping or outside at night, is still pretty bright. Even though the super moon of August 1st has passed, and speaking of super news, don't know if this is it's super news from the form form of fires. Earlier this summer, of course, we in Chicago had the dreadful smoke from the Canadian wildfires, and throughout the East Coast, we had horrible smoke, and it was a reminder to many of us that we need to take a serious look at our forest management. One of the things that I learned in the recent weeks when I was camping in the West is that we have a reason that our system is so messed up when it comes to fires that has seemed to escape all of those who, the best thing I can say is hyperventilate about what happens with fires. And, and they blame it on climate change, as has recently been done. Um, when we had the smoke in the East Coast, you could have read page after page in newspapers, online, elsewhere, about how climate change was causing these fires. I happened to be with an individual who's an expert within the Natural Resource Conservation Service recently, and we were talking about these fires, and he said, interestingly, well, people don't do a lot of history learning when they talk about fires in the West. And he said, one of the reasons we have such terrible fires in the West is because of invasive cheatgrass. So cheatgrass is a kind of grass which came over from Europe. Yes, we brought it here. We brought so many things from Europe and around the world that today we wish we had not brought, such as common carp and starlings. I'll talk about that in a moment. But cheatgrass was brought over in the late 1800s to Europe, from Europe as a containment to seed and straw. So it was viewed to be sort of a cover crop, they would help contain, keep seeds in the soil and help straw, contain straw. Well, cheatgrass spread literally like wildfire. And the issue today across much of America is cheatgrass has been, become the early dominant season grass. When the snow melts and spring arrives, Wheatgrass is the first grass to take over the landscape, which means that it grows robustly. And if you've ever driven across the hills, driven across Colorado or Wyoming or Montana or Idaho or in Nebraska particularly, and you see early in the spring and in through May, you see this just brilliant blanket green cover covering all the hills. It looks spectacularly beautiful. It's 100% cheatgrass, a grass that wasn't supposed to be here. So the cheatgrass matures early in the year, in the spring and summer, and then it dies. And when it dies, it leaves basically just dead grass all over tens of millions of acres of grasslands. Well, dead grass is very easy to set on fire, as we all know. So cheatgrass, which is not a native grass, is actually one of the major causes of these huge grassland fires that have been occurring across much of the western part of the United States and into Canada. It's These fires are being caused by a grass that's an invasive species that we brought here, thinking we were doing good things in the late 1800s. So under normal circumstances, as as was discussed at this conference, prior to the arrival of cheatgrass and then cheatgrass taking over the landscape, the spring flowers and grasses of the American prairie, true of Illinois as well, came on slowly, and there was a great variety of them. You never had this growing inferno of grasses that would lay dead on the ground when you got into the heat of the summer. Spring flowers and grasses and plants came later. They didn't mature so early. So when you got into the heat of the summer, bunch grass and all kinds of grass, blue stem, all kinds of native grasses were then reaching their premium as far as growth. And in doing so, they were very green and they were somewhat fire resistant, although certainly fires helped shape the prairies in an enormous way. But they did so differently than these cheatgrass fueled fires we have now. So the reality is, fires in the American West and across much of the Great Plains are being fueled differently than they were before we brought cheatgrass into our environment. So when we think of fires and we hear about the stories about the coming of climate change, which is definitely, we are, I mean, the climate's changing. We've talked about that often, but in this case, the hyperbole and the rhetoric around the huge smoke that took place in Illinois across much of the eastern part of the United States earlier this summer, as the people at the Natural Resource Conservation Service pointed out to me, a big part of the piece of the puzzle was missing, and that is how much we've changed our landscape to enable these fires that are occurring to be so extraordinary, whereas in natural environments or managed landscapes, they might not be so. So cheatgrass is one of the major causes of how we've changed our landscape and has provided an enormous amount of fuel to the landscape that was not here in Native states, in Native times, natural times. When I come back in just a moment, I'm going to talk about much more on the great outdoors. I'm going to talk about what's happening with a effort to shut down a program called archery in the schools which has been a very popular program and also i'm going to talk a little bit more about some invasive species such as starlings and how they've impacted us here in america this is charlie potter and the outdoor voice of chicago and america 720 wgn and first a message from our longtime sponsors the northwest indiana and chicagoland chevrolet
0: dealers Hiking, camping, and hunting, it's all an adventure in the great outdoors. But nature can be tough. You need to be ready for anything and everything. Chevy Silverado is built to handle the toughest conditions and get you everywhere you want to go worry-free. Silverado is designed to handle the big jobs. It's built for the great outdoors. With over 13,000 pounds of towing capacity and trailering sway control, Silverado can haul the biggest loads on the roughest roads and keep you cool as a Sunday drive. With eight available cameras and up to 14 different views, it can spot trouble before it gets to you. That's peace of mind. And when you're ready for the backcountry, Chevy Silverado 1500 ZR2 owns the off-road. You name it, we run over it. No wonder it's Motor Trend's 2023 four-wheeler pickup truck of the year. So see your Chicagoland and Northwest Indiana Chevy dealer or go to ChevyDriveChicago.com and check out a Chevy Silverado. It's freedom to explore the great outdoors. It's Charlie Potter and the Great Outdoors
1: on Chicago's very own 720 WGN. Welcome back to the Great Outdoors show. Charlie Potter, your host here on WGN Radio, and thank you for listening this morning. Before into went to the break, I mentioned that I would continue just talking about some invasive species that have come into America that have dramatically changed the landscape. How about the idea that starlings, you know, those birds that travel in tremendous flocks were actually not part of the American landscape when America was settled. Instead, interesting, starlings were brought to America, this is an unbelievable story, in 1890 by enthusiasts, enthusiasts of Shakespeare, and they brought the starlings to Central Park, There were about 150 starlings that were released in Central Park in 1890 during a Shakespearean festival to honor the birds that Shakespeare wrote about in some of his writings. Today, there are estimated to be about 200 million starlings in America. They are not native in any way, shape, or form. They've done tremendous damage. It's estimated that starlings on an annual basis now Cost agriculture in America some eight hundred million to a billion dollars a year in lost production. They're particularly aggressive on fruit. So as I talked about cheatgrass being brought over to be used as a cover crop to try to help have hay and straw put into place and to uh, help contain seed, and it now has transformed much of the American landscape in a very bad way. Starlings arrived here. Because some people like Shakespeare, and they wanted to have starlings as part of their festival. The rest of that is history. And how about the common carp? The common carp came over from Europe as well. It was supposed to be a delicacy. Well, it turned into being the most invasive species that we have in in our rivers and lakes throughout all of America and as well as much of Canada. The common carp has destroyed untold millions of acres of vegetation, driven out other species, made soil, made, made, made the water quality so terrible because of the fact that their bottom feeders and the, and the turbulence they cause in the water, they choke out all vegetation. It, it, of all the things that have been brought to America, common carp have to be right up there as the poster child of why you don't bring invasive species into a country but that that ship long ago sailed i could do a month of radio shows on invasive species in america from kudzu to asian carp now to zebra mussels i, I mean literally the, the list is is unbelievably long of species that have been brought to america some inadvertently some intentionally those brought intentionally with good intentions for the large part largest part but have turned out to be absolutely horrific and just terribly devastating to our environment in America. The starlings, when you look up this fall, which will be happening soon, unfortunately, too soon, if you enjoy summer, and you begin to see these massive flocks of starlings moving south and flying across the sky or getting into your strawberries or getting into your grapes, you can thank the the few fans of Shakespeare in Central Park in a summer's night in nineteen in eighteen ninety for releasing some starlings so that Shakespeare's writings could be celebrated. And the rest of it, as they say, is history and we're paying the price ever since. Before I go for the day, I do want to talk quickly about what's happening and we'll have to talk more about it in the in the coming weeks because it's a it's a significant effort to change a program that has been enormously successful uh, across America. And that is a program that was started called Archery in the Schools. And the idea was to get, to get our youth outside and to learn how to, to shoot archery. It started just like fishing in the schools was identified as an area to, to go outside and, and get kids into nature. Archery is the same thing. It has grown by leaps and bounds. Many states have archery in the school programs, or national organizations that are dedicated to archery in the school, is extremely popular with kids. All of a sudden, the Department of Education has decided that archery is no longer suited as an activity that schools should pursue because archery, bows and arrows, are considered to be dangerous weapons. And under a bill passed by Congress last year, they provided a great deal of funding to the Department of Education. But in the bill, it said that funds cannot be used to advance activities that would involve dangerous weapons. I don't think anyone was thinking about bows and arrows and kids learning how to shoot. However, the Department of Education has taken this and has now stopped the funding Archery in the school programs across America saying that bows and arrows being used by kids are teaching them how to use dangerous weapons and that is no longer permitted by Congress. This has led to a number of legislators writing the Department of Education saying that was not the intent at all of what was passed in law uh, last fall and instead. The Department of Education is using this to try to crack down or to twist the intent of what was called the Bipartisan Safer Communities Act, (BSCA), which was passed last year. So the Secretary of Education is now being asked by, the, by a number of senators, led by John Cornyn of Texas and Tom Tillon of North Carolina, to reverse what it had originally done in having uh, funding pulled from schools that are practicing archery programs. Hopefully this occurs. Archery in the schools has proven to be a great way to get kids outside, to have them learn other life skills. It has nothing to do with dangerous weapons, and yet the Department of Education has decided it does. So we'll see what happens. In the meantime, uh, archery in the schools is pretty much a no-go across America, which is Very, very unfortunate when you consider the ultimate objective of trying to get individuals and kids to learn about nature and the outdoors. And maybe, yes, maybe a few of them become sportsmen and women of the coming generation. Thanks so much for listening. I'll be back next Sunday morning with much more in the great outdoors. This is Charlie Potter, the Outdoor Voice of Chicago and America, 720 WGN.